Welcome everyone. It's good to see you. Good to have you. Wonderful the mothers could stand and that'll be really good. We'd love to pray for them and uh, it'd be great. So Marsha Malloy, could you come and pray for the moms? Here's a lady who mothered five wonderful, wonderful women. One of them is at the back who's now herself standing. So we have much experience coming up here. We'd love to pray and honor you guys. I, I really, I'm amazed growing up with an amazing mother. I think husbands begin to see what motherhood is really like, not when you have a mother, but when you see your wife mother and lay down her life every day over and over and over. And I said last week, and I've realized that men become very proud of themselves when they do one thing that women do every day. And uh, it's true. So we want to honor you. We really, really do. And uh, we want to bless you. And, and I'd love Marsha to pray. So. Okay. Before I pray, I just was writing an email to my mom this morning because she was going to come and decided not to come tonight. But what hit me was how strategic she was in blessing us as kids and then her grandkids and then her great-grandkids and that she sought ways that within what she could do that she could bless and encourage the next generation. And so I thought, as moms and as grandmothers and as great-grandmothers, that's really what we're about, is blessing and encouraging each generation. So, Lord, we thank you that the, you have given us an opportunity to speak into lives, speak into our children's lives, our grandchildren's lives, and our great-grandchildren's lives. And we just rejoice that you give us the ability, you give us wisdom. Lord, if it were up to us, we wouldn't know what to do. But Lord, you bring wisdom, you bring people to show us, you orchestrate the things in our lives to help us with this task. And Lord, I pray that you would bless each mom and grandma here today and great grandma and Help them to enjoy the day and enjoy the blessings of all the children that uh, are in their lives. And we thank you, Lord. Amen. Yeah, awesome. We really do. Can we give them a hand? That I really think they deserve it. <clears throat> it's an amazing thing what a mother does. It's an amazing thing what mothers do. Honestly, I, I, I look back. I know, I know my, my dad is, you know, the, the man of prayer and the man of faith, and everyone goes to him for those kind of things, which is awesome. But I also know that as much as he loves me, it was my mother's prayers. For years and years and years and years and years, it was my mother's prayers that said, God, save that heathen. We love him. Save him. Help him. And uh, she literally would pray like that, I'm sure. I'm guessing. I don't, I'm too afraid to ask. But uh, it really is the mother's prayers, you know. And you even see it in the Bible with Hannah and Samuel. It's just so powerful. Just so powerful. So we want to honor you. All right. This morning, Surrendered. Last week, we launched into a series called uh, A Life Handed Over and really talking about um, identity, what it means to have an identity. God has put so much in my heart uh, concerning this subject. And many, many years ago, I don't know, eight, nine years ago, I used to preach this relentlessly with the youth, and I saw revival come out of it, some sense of a little revival with some of them. And I almost just got away from it, and God has rebirthed it in my heart and taken it further. And so when I say the word surrendered, because you'll see how that links with identity, uh, most people think that that's what they hope surrendered looks like, 
but next pic, I showed this. It often looks like that. And uh, that's true. I felt like that many, many times. Some of us surrender because we don't have another choice. And, uh, but there is a place of surrender in God when we don't understand. Thanks, Andrew. There's a place of surrender in God when we are confused, when we are hurt, when we are whatever we are. There's a place of surrender that I believe where identity begins, who you are. And the thing about identity it's, is that your life is not your own. And it's the weird thing about focusing on identity. I said last week, I had so many phone calls and emails about last week because it shifts how people think. Yeah? And I know it, I, throw, I threw a lot at you last week, and I might throw a lot at you again. But this is something that has to be hit and hit and hit and hit and hit and hit and hit. Because I believe it's something that God is bringing into the earth. It's not a new truth. It's an old truth. It's all over the Bible. And when you start to see this, you start to read differently. You start to think differently. And, but it has to be coupled with the love and the holiness and the righteousness and the, the awesome and the splendor of God. Because it's not about you. Yet identity, if you preach just identity, who you are in God, if you preach just that, it becomes about you again. And as I said last week, well, let me read you something. I wrote this. I want to read it. If I say some stuff today that makes me look angry, upset, or it depends with the lens with which we hear. Some of the stuff I say today, if there's a legalistic lens, we can take it as something that it's not. I long for people to be free. That is, I just, I want to see people free. I want to see people be who God says they are. So I wrote this, and then we're going to talk a little bit about it. And I'm going to do a lot of uh, re-preaching from last week. I don't always do that. I always move on. But I want to do some re-preaching because it's so vital and so important. I had people phone me that said to me, I always struggled. I understand grace. I understand that I'm saved by grace, but I understand grace so much that I struggled to even do anything for God because then I thought I was being legalistic. Some of us might go, what? People, that's a struggle because we don't want to be in the works and we don't want to, so we don't, I mean, so this for me is a major, major part of Christianity. I think it's like a spine. It's like the, everything comes out of this. So, I wrote this, your life is not your own. You have been brought with a price, which is why it's such a big verse that your life is not your own, you've been brought with a Why? Because you take your value from that. Do you think people say, well, it's not about me, so they say, well, it's not about me, therefore my value. No, friends, your value, if you talk about, so you pay for something that gives it a value, the greatest price that was ever paid was for you. That's your value. Yet it's not about you whatsoever. Yet it is, so we'll get into that. When I look at the church, capital C, Universal Church, and I have to be honest, this sounds like I'm bringing bad news. I'm just, I think there's a level that I see in Scripture, and there's things that I see in Scripture that I just don't see. But I cannot not pursue what I see here and just accept what is. Yes? Amen. Thanks, Dave. You're with me today, buddy. It's good. When I look at the church, this is what I wrote. People are confused, offended. They have sick hearts of disappointment. They're angry at God because they think God owes them or because I prayed and that didn't happen and I did this. And fighting amongst themselves, bickering, having, never here. Never here. <laughs> fighting amongst themselves, 
bickering, having great moments but not necessarily taking it home with them. And we can preach on all these things, how to deal with offense, how to deal with this, how to deal with that, but then we spend all our life putting out fires. I'm hoping some of us identify with this because it's just raw truth. Just trying to maintain unity and peace within the church. And so the enemy has us chasing our tails, spending our life in need of repeated ministry over and over and over, offended at God, living in shame, living in fear. And yet the Great Commission and making disciples becomes lost in that process. I long for people to be free. Yes, for them, but more so that all that Jesus died and paid for is to be used in its full effect to bring the bride of Christ on the earth that brings his return a people that look like Jesus being transformed into his image. We have to understand, almost done reading, that when we are born into Adam, this was a big point last week, when we are born into Adam, being born into Adam, when you're born physically, you're born under death. I think we're all there. You're born under death. You're born under a penalty of death because you're born with the sin nature because of what first Adam did. When you are born under Adam into death, we don't actually have godly emotions. Babies are screaming, selfish, self-centered, angry, mean, and they'll even lash out and hit you if you give them a chance before they can even speak English. We don't see that with Adam in the garden. The deceit he came, he came under was from an outside source, not from within. And through that, death entered, through what he did. Death entered, and the Bible talks about a present evil age and an age to come. And when that happened, the present evil age was born. And then even by the time you get to Genesis 8, it says that the imaginations of a man's heart are evil from their youth. But that is not how God originally intended it. Hello? Yeah. Being born again is not just a prayer. We pray for fire insurance, and then we go right on as we are. We step into a place of becoming, of becoming who we really are. Built on a relationship of love. Everything comes from love. We go through a process where the who and the what we thought we were has to die, so that once again, like Adam, first Adam, before the death, we can bear the image of God and be transformed into the image of his son. That's the gospel. But humanism has so penetrated the gospel. What is humanism? That the chief end of all being is the happiness of man. That people have become the center. We can take all the provisions of Christ. I'm saved because of me. You know, God wants me to be safe. God wants, I'm set free because of me. That all the provisions of Christ with humanism become about man and around man's happiness. Christianity says the end of all being is the glory of God, not the happiness of man. That's a byproduct of the glory of God. There is such a freedom in the discovery of who we are, almost done reading, and as we trust, obey, and follow Jesus... And allow him to make us. He said it to his disciples, follow me and I will make you. And to shape us and to mold us. That's Christianity. So we say we gave our lives to Jesus today. And as I said last week, I ask you, did you? The first thing we see in the New Testament. 
The first truth, one of the first truths, I believe that was there were two things that were going round and round and round in the head, was the first one that there is no longer a mediator. Friends, they came out of a priest system. There's no longer a mediator that excited them. They were so excited, I can go directly to God. And institutionalization and religion have continued to try to put that back since the beginning of the church, whether it's through a father, a priest, a pastor, a parent, a pope, whatever. But the veil's been taken. The veil's been torn and been opened. The way has been made. And that was one of the premium things that went around in the head. I can go straight to the Father. That's why we all have that access. And the very next thing that I believe that started to permeate their thinking was an understanding of this very thing I'm talking about, of who you are. Jesus, why? But they understood it through this, baptism. Because they would get saved and straight away, in the Bible there wasn't a long break in between. Saved, baptized. Why? First thing, you get saved, identify with the death, with the burial, and with the resurrection of Christ. They understood. I wrote here, it's not about being good or doing the right thing, but about being dead and then made alive in the newness of life. Not according to your old man, but that you're made new. And so they began to understand this. That you were blind, but now you see, you lost, and now you find, and who you are has actually just been born. Friends, I know this is a lot to take in, but it's, unless we start to think like this, unless we start to see this, we will continue to wait for our breakthrough. We will continue to wait for revival. I'm just waiting for the touch of the Lord. Well, I'm just waiting for this. I'm, and we continue to be in a place of waiting that celebrates feeling instead of becoming disciples. Hello? And it's so, so, and people think, oh, he's talking about stuff, stuff that's so beyond me. What does that have to do? How about me and my family? This affects the way you parent. This affects the way you father. This affects the way you are with your spouse. It affects everything because when you are not at the center, you know, as God has started to speak to me about this, it's not about I cannot fulfill what I want. I've got to put what I want aside because I'm dying to self. No, that's not freedom. That's behavior modification. True freedom is my desires have changed. And that only comes when I understand who I am. But not understanding who I am so I could, Lord, look at me. Because you died. And the real you woke up when you got saved. Who you are. I get frustrated. I'm not the most patient person sometimes. And as this has started to permeate my heart and go into me and go into me and go into me, my desire, even the way I get frustrated sometimes with my family, not them doing anything wrong, me lack of patience, there's been a joy that has started to bubble up inside of me. Because when you truly see it's not about you, you'll be amazed how much freedom that brings you. We think it's so hard, you'll be amazed. It really is freedom. James 1 says, what is pure religion? Not religion, the bad word like it has become. Religion used to be a good word. Pure religion is to look after widows and orphans and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Now, I know that's talking about practically vi visiting widows and orphans because it says the word visit there. But how can we do that when the church is full of spiritual widows and orphans? And we are. What is a widow? Someone who doesn't know she has her husband or her husband has passed away. 
The Bible says Jesus is your husband. Hello? The Bible says Jesus is your husband. Your maker is your husband. That's why there's a love thing going on between us and the Lord. Real love, friends. Not some spirit. Real love. I love Jesus Christ. He's my husband. I'm his bride. And then the church is full of orphans. They don't understand they have a good father. And when you don't understand you have a good father, everything goes out of whack. And so then we preach sonship. Well, you need to know your sonship. You need to know your sonship. You need, and we preach it. That is good, friends. It's good. It's good. It's healthy. It's right. But when we preach just a sonship from based on God loves you because you're a son, it's still about the person. You cannot preach just sonship from, because we need to go through that. We need to go through the healing. We need to have our hearts healed. We do. Jesus came to restore the brokenhearted. He's a good father. He loves you. But there's a difference between who a son is and what a son does. And identity takes you from just being understanding that God is your father, which is breakthrough for many people, into acting like a son of God on the earth. Yeah? So, last week, we got into Galatians 1. Can you turn there? That'll be great. Galatians chapter 1. Are you with me? I hope this is helping. Friends, this is such a truth. Such a truth. All right. Galatians 1. Paul, an apostle. And I know I preached this last week. We're going to look at it again. Galatians 1.1. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brethren who are with me. To the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from the present evil age. That's the present evil age. That's talking about here, friends. That's not talking about one day. And I know this changes some of the way we think. That scripture, there's another one in Colossians that is similar. It's talking about you. You have been set free from here, but you're still here. I said this to the life group on Sunday. If being saved was about heaven or about salvation, as soon as we got saved, Jesus would take us. But he leaves us here. Because he needs us to understand and he wants us to be transformed into the image of his son to carry the image of God in the earth. That sounds so spiritual. It's very practical. So he leaves us here. And that's why Jesus said, you're in the world, but you're not of it. It's not just to remove yourself. You're still in it. And you've been saved from this present evil age. That salvation there, that saved here, is being saved from affecting. You're not affected by where you live. You're not trained by the world's systems, by the world's thinking. Because as you, that happens, as you get, you're born under Adam, you're born under death, you get saved. You, you die with Christ. You're buried with Christ. You're, you're born in newness of life, new mind, new spirit, new heart, the mind of God, the thoughts of God. You're born a new man, new person, brand new, not restored, not fixed up the old, brand new, the Bible says. And that's what it means to be saved. That is new birth. So that begins to happen, but then we're still in this present evil age. And Jesus says, you're in the world, but you're not of it. And who you think you were, the identity you thought you had, the false identity, that's dead. Who you really are has just begun. But we've been trained for so long by our false identity. It's like a person, I said last week, it's like a person living undercover. 
a cop being undercover, and they're undercover so long, you know, they say in so deep. They're undercover so long that their mind gets altered and they forget who they actually are. That's why the Bible says, before the creation of the world, I knew you. Friends, we have to understand this. Before the very creation, of, before I formed you, I knew you before the creation of the world. I knew you before you were born corrupt. And I sent my son, who bore my image, to restore what Adam lost, so that you could be raised in the newness of life, so that you too could bear my image. God knew you before you were born like that. Hello? You're very quiet. You never know when preachers, when the people are quiet, you think, have they, are they looking at me like that because I'm crazy or because they have no clue what I'm talking about or because God's moving in their hearts? You just always assume it's the last one. <laughs> you have to, otherwise you go crazy. Friends, when we come back to our Father, He gives us a new heart, a new grace, a new life, a new mercy, His spirit, His mind. That's our identity. That's who you actually are. And Learning to live under that, learning to live with that, starts with one simple thing. You are not your own. It's not about you. You are not your own. You're bought with a price. You are not your own, but unless you understand who you are, it will always be about you. Always. That's why I wrote you, dying to self is such a bad term, because it's like you have to die to who you are but actually you're dying to a false identity. It's a person who you're not. You're just dying to the corrupted self that was born under Adam, not the true self that Jesus Christ born when you got born again. That's who you are. And when we understand this, friends, the devil, you stop fighting him. <laughs> and I'm challenging some of you. It's not about fighting the devil. We have this concept, Jesus and the devil. No, Jesus, that's it. The opposite of the devil is Michael or Gabriel, not Jesus. And we spend all our time fighting the devil in spiritual warfare, and there is time for that. The only time ministry or warfare is required when people are blocked from truth. Because the truth sets free, not ministry. But ministry, God puts people, and I love them, like my mom and dad on the earth, who are amazing at this, to break through a blockage so that they can receive truth. So that they can become who they are. So he puts Moses figures. Let me break you out of Egypt. Let me break you out of that way of thinking. Because you're not acting according to who you are. You're saved, but you're, yeah. Let's break you out. So you can think right. According to truth. I'm 2 Corinthians 5 is one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. It talks about righteousness. But before that, we're not even going to get to that part. It says, for the love of Christ compels us, verse 12, verse 14, the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus, that if one died for all, did that happen? Did that happen? Yeah. Yes. Then all died. Huh. That's interesting. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. It's a very simple verse but profound in its impact. Romans 6, 11 says, Therefore, reckon yourselves dead to sin and alive to God. 
Consider yourself dead to sin. In a life, dead to sin. Sin. You were born under sin. Consider yourself dead to your false identity under Adam and alive to who you are in the newness of spirit, in the newness of life. But it starts there. Consider. Reckon. Bill Johnson said it like this. I love it. He was leaning on the thing and he goes, so when you wake up in the morning, what does that mean? You go, eh, I'm dead. That's literally what it means. You've died. The real you is alive but it's still in this earthly temple. It's still in this earthly body with a soul. And friends, I see so many people offended at God. Well, I prayed while this happened. Like God owes us. Friend, the fault is never on his side. We've had generations of no prayer. We've had generations of misunderstanding the gospel, generations of things perverting and corrupting the grace in the gospel, and then we get offended. Well, God, you... No, friends. God is good. He can only be good. He can only be love. God's desire is to reestablish the origination of his creation, which is to carry his image. So he sent his son. And I know some of you are going, well, this is just the gospel, but it's profound. He sent his son. Hebrews 1 says, Jesus was God's last word to man. That's the Father saying, the last communication I'm going to have with planet Earth is Jesus Christ. And what did Jesus say? Look to me. Learn from me, not from someone else. Come to me. I'm God's last word. I'm the word made flesh. Come to me. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. You've got to go to him. It's his last communication. I know he's always speaking, but Jesus is the model. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the life. Not another man, not a denomination, not a anything else. Not your parents. They love you, but Jesus. Think about this. First Adam, and I don't know why I'm going on about this. It's not even in the notes. First Adam did not give us a model to follow in the present evil age. He brought about the beginning of the present evil age through death, through sin entered, death entered. But last Adam comes along and shows what it's like to model an identity of a son in the present evil age. Hello? That's why he's your example. And people think, well, that's, uh, that's just so far away. I, I love you, but if you think like that, it's probably because you were raised in church. a fact. I love the church. I love the bride. It's, look, I'm here. But some of us have been raised with such an understanding of, you know, well, we're always going to sin. We're always going to mess up. Friends, you have been set free. The stone is rolled away. You're free. Who you are is not sometimes who we think we are. That's why we pursue our identity. Not because it's about us, we pursue our identity. No matter how old, no matter how young, you pursue, what are God's thoughts towards me? Who does God say I am? So that I can live for him. Then what does it say in Galatians? If you stayed in Galatians, now you're thinking, I made the right choice. Because you don't have to do this. 
What does it say in Galatians? That he might deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of, the, of, of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel. Grace. Why is this important? You are called in grace. What is grace? Unmerited favor. Grace is, I am righteous. It's another word for it is justification. I know that's a long word. If you knew, just you can absorb it. You'll be fine. Justification. Just as if I've never sinned. Justification. You get saved under grace. By grace you have been saved, Ephesians 2.8. Not by your own works, but by, but by grace. So you're saved by grace. You feel the weight of sin, the wages of sin. The stuff in your heart leaves. Who's, who remembers that? You feel this, oh, this like, oh, that's justification. And joy enters your life. Hello? You've been saved by grace. You do nothing. He does everything. You're righteous because of his payment. You're blessed. You're holy. You're this because of him. That's grace. That's justification. So that happens. It should bring three or four things to your life. One being joy. Because the Bible says, the joy, I draw my joy from my salvation. Not from my spouse. Oops, not from my parents, not, I draw my joy from there. And when I draw my joy from there, what happens? Gratitude starts to well up in your heart. And of all things, love. I love him because he, I love him because he first loved us. And you start to feel the love of God in your heart for him. And you get to know him. And then you start to love others because you cannot not love others if you love God. Because his love. So that's what justification starts to do. And then we all look at these people who say, Oh honey, you know, don't worry. The zeal will go away. It'll burn away. You, I mean, just give yourself a few years. I've been in Jesus 40 years. Look how miserable I am. <laughs> Hello? Friends. And so then someone will stand up and say, Well, the joy is never meant to go away. And it makes people feel guilty that are struggling in their Christian walk. And that shouldn't... You shouldn't feel guilty for that. That's justification. What does the Bible say? Jesus came in grace and in truth. Why those two? I don't know if you read the Bible like that. I do. Why those two? Why not grace and hope? Why not grace and faith? Grace and truth. Why? After you initially are saved, God wants to move you on. Come along, my son. Come along, I want to move you into a place where you understand who you are. That's called sanctification. That's called identity. I want to change your very desires. I want to sanctify you. I want to make you, transform you by the, make you by the transforming of your mind into the image of Jesus. What's that called? Sanctification, right? What did Jesus say about that? John 17, sanctify them by truth. Jesus came in grace and truth. So after, just, after your salvation, you're all excited and we think, well, why am I not feeling like this anymore? Because it's, there's a time and a period when you get saved where it's so awesome. And it can stay like that, but you also have to move along, not to lose that. Realize where your joy comes from. Realize where grace is. Realize that you're saved. Realize that you're righteous. Understand and move into a place of understanding your identity and that the fight is no longer against the devil, but for truth. 
And truth keeps you. Truth holds you. And that's why truth will set you free. Really free. Know the truth. And you will be free. Thank you. That's good. Justification brings love to our heart. He becomes our husband again. Let me skip over some of this. I wrote here, those who have not understood justification or grace will always feel the need to justify themselves. I'm not trying to be mean. I want you to be free. Continually justify ourselves. Why? But you've been justified. You're justified. He counts. Not everyone else. We feel entitled when we're not treated justly, but yet you've been justified. I wrote you, but you don't know how they, but I feel, but he hurt me, but you don't understand, but they, but stop. Lack of identity rules in that space. It rules you. Who you are is settled. Come it. And I know I'm calling some of us up. I'm not calling you up and I'm not trying to put challenge you even. I'm trying to show you a path to freedom. There's a place of freedom in God, in Christ, where you're not affected by everybody else around you. Then he goes on, on does he say, For do I now seek, Galatians 1.10, For do I now seek to persuade men, the NIV says, to seek the approval of men or of God. Or do I seek to please men? For if I still please men, I would be a bondservant of Christ. You see the same thing coming through again, again and again and again. Jesus, Matthew chapter 3. You're my son, identity, whom I love, acceptance, with whom I'm well pleased, approval. Every person needs those three things. Identity, acceptance, approval. Where you draw your approval from. If I drew my, I just want my, I want to be accepted. If I drew my approval from others, if I drew my approval from the way guy thinks I preach or the way this person thinks I lead or I give them the keys to the authority in my life. I'll change my behavior so I can get acceptance and that you will tell me well done. You give them mastery over you. You give them authority over you. We don't think we do this. We do it all the time. I see it with young people wherever they are, all the time. And we just get better at it as we get older. Identity. Jesus understood who he was. And where you get your approval from, where you get your identity from, I mean your acceptance from, that'll tell you who you are, who you think you are. But God knows who you are, who you really are. The newness, the new man inside. I said this last week, I heard someone say it recently, the gospel sets me free from me. The old gospel sets me free from me. And when I'm free from me, I'm free from you. I can't be free from you if I'm not free from me. Don't be challenged. It's not about challenging people. There's an excitement in my spirit because there's an army, I believe, rising on the earth that understands who God says they are. And that army can bring glory to God like no, never before. And that's what it's about, bringing glory to the Father, bowing the knee. Lord, it's not about me. Our true identity, I wrote this, keeps us free from who we are not, 
keeps us free from others, keeps us free from tra tragedy and circumstance dictating what is truth to us. I know I'm throwing this at you, but friends, last week I said, well, I prayed and this didn't happen and they died. Or, and, and I'm not saying there's no grief. That's real. That's very real. But if tragedy or circumstance dictates what's truth, we're in trouble. Truth is truth. Truth is truth. I don't allow tragedy or circumstance or something that doesn't make sense to dictate what's truth to me. <laughs> Hello? Can we go to one more passage? 2 Timothy 1. I'm going to take another five minutes or so. Then we'll be done. Why, friends? Because truth sets you free. There is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it's the way of death. 2 Timothy 1, verse 1. The problem is, not the problem, the great thing is, when you see this, everywhere you read you see it. Over and over and over. Unless a seed falls to the ground and dies. It abides alone and it bears no fruit. Jesus said, for those who lose their life for my sake will find it. Over and over, it's everywhere. Even 2 Corinthians 5, when we read it, you no longer live for yourselves. And then what does it say after that? For from now on, we no longer judge anyone according to the flesh. In other words, you can't affect me anymore. It's my dad used to preach about a Teflon Christian. Man, it just slides off me. Because I'm not taking my identity and my approval from you. I love you. Not, well, I don't care what you think. No, that, that's not the point. I love you. And when you shout and come at me, friends, let me say this. Can I be personal? If I had to take that from people, I would be an absolute wreck. <laughs> my dad's like, yep, because he knows, he's led. Every week there's something. I didn't like this, or I didn't like this, or you said this too much, or this didn't happen. I've got a picture, a picture on my phone of two emails that came through next to each other. It was too loud. It was too soft. <laughs> Same day. Friends, if I take from that, I'm finished. Yeah, I've shipwrecked my faith. We've got to be free. 2 Timothy 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, according to the promise of life, I love it, which is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, a beloved son, grace and mercy and peace from God the Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve with a pure conscience, as my forefathers did, without ceasing. I remember you in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears, that I may be filled with joy when I call to remembrance the genuine faith. Oh, pause. Genuine faith, tears. Genuine faith, tears. Today's world say, well, Timothy shouldn't have been crying. He's an overcomer. Bless God. He didn't have enough favor. Why was he was crying? You should have overcome. Genuine faith when I call to remembrance the tears you have. I'm not saying we live with this as suffering. No, we are overcomers. But Paul is writing to people. Paul, Paul, 195 lashes. I've told you last week. This man lived in contradictory circumstances to what he preached more than anybody else. Did not shake him, did not move him. 
He's writing from prison, about to be killed. This is his last letter. And he's writing to strengthen the churches. That is in you, which first dwelt in God of verse 6. Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. So that happens. That's awesome. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Therefore, do not be ashamed. I don't have time to go into all of this. I wish I did. I did this with my wife yesterday, and she was like, that's the cool stuff. But the foundation has to be laid over and over and over and over and over. I do not have a spirit of fear no longer, but of love and of power and a sound mind. Why is that so important? The old you, the false identity, the one that was born under Adam, the stuff that we've died to, friends, it is ruled by one thing, fear. Paul's like, that's who you were. Everything is, in a sense, rules that. Fear of failure. Fear of weakness, fear of the future, fear of finance, fear of loss, fear of, well, what if I get exposed? What if they see who I really am? Fear of whatever, fear of rejection. I don't want to do this in case I get rejected. That's the old man. That's the old man. The new man, the new identity, is you're given a spirit of power of love and of a sound mind. Love, real love, friends. I could speak on love forever. It's a form of fear that stops the gospel in our mouths. That's just the truth. And we've come up with all these different things. Friends, you won't believe me when I tell you this because you only see me. I'm an introverted person. Yeah, people laugh. You won't believe it's absolutely true. I don't get my energy from people and all that other stuff. And it's very easy for me to say, well, I don't want to, you know, shine and tell people the gospel. It's just not my personality. Friends, I'm not trying to challenge you for no reason. We have a commission. There is a place where you can be free. Because I'm free from others. I tell you, it's so delightful to wake up in the morning and know. Why? Because if you, to me, affects me, then I can only shine for him when my life is good. I wrote this somewhere. I'm to love people, not fix them. I could tell you a story, but we don't have time. How can I love people if when they sin against me, it causes sin in me? If them, toward me, if them towards me dictates how I am, and if tragedy is dictating my truth, and circumstance dictating my truth, I can only love people when my life is good. Because you towards me affects me. And I, I understand there's some reality that there's a process of, of understanding this. But if I love affected by everything. How can I be loving people? How can I be reaching out? How can I be shining for the Lord? How can I be doing this? Because you affect me. That was, so when no one's affecting me, and when no one's offending me, and circumstances are good, now I can shine for the Lord. But when I look in the Bible, 
I see the disciples going through all sorts of stuff. I'm not saying I've attained this. Please hear me. I'm not saying I'm there, but I'm saying that's the Bible. Seek ye first the kingdom. The kingdom and his righteousness. People, our fight is not against flesh and blood. Please hear me. Don't fight each other. It's not against flesh and blood. When people come at me and... You know what? I, I have to be honest. Maybe there's truth in what they're saying. And that's hard. That's never fun. But it, it cannot throw me. Throw it. Oh, whoa, whoa. Cannot do that. Because my identity is in him. We'll have to carry on next week. Why is this? Why do I say all of this? For one reason. And we'll go into this next week. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, of power, and of love, and of a sound mind. I wanted to get there, but I can feel in my spirit that I needed to lay the foundation again and again. Why? He says, therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. Now we can preach the gospel. Now we can be a witness. Even of people and Christians and pastors or Pauls, whatever, that we know that are in prison, that are preaching Jesus came to set us free from prison. He's in prison. I'm not embarrassed about his contradictory circumstance because truth is truth. I'm not embarrassed about the testimony of the Lord and of who Jesus is because truth is truth. And I have not been given a spirit of fear. Fear doesn't rule me anymore. But love for people. 